so much more important for me to allow space for the viewer to be able to find their story inside my work. And I love hearing about the way which the viewer and I can share that emotion and then for them to be able to find all these different places inside this one piece. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the exploration and discussion of art and the creative process. I'm your host, Aaron S, and in today's episode, I had the chance to talk to the incredible artist Matt Jukes. Based in London, England, Matt uses a range of mediums to create colourful, abstract images that explore the idea of misremembered memories. His work is extremely fascinating, especially as he recently has made the transition from two dimensions to three dimensions production of his first sculpture in late 2021. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Matt and I hope you like it too. Let's start where I start with everybody. Uh, just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist. Yeah okay my name is Matt Jukes. I am an artist. Um, I, I suppose my practice kind of focuses around uh, around memory. I, I describe my work as kind of about I'm trying to capture misremembered memories so all of my work is trying to capture that that emotion and feeling of a place as opposed to a physical representation so that's the sort of work which i'm doing and i work across lots of different mediums so i suppose i was um uh primarily a printmaker um and now i've kind of moved into sculpture installation and painting so i've kind of uh extended out there um, how did I become an artist? Um, this, this, I suppose, is the question is, aren't we all artists to begin yeah. with and it gets beaten out of us? Yeah. Um, by, yeah. So I think I've always been an artist. Um, how long have I been a full-time commercial artist? Um, that's only been a couple of years. Um, before that, I've, I've always had other gigs and other things to be able to... Um, you know, pay the rent. Uh, but I, I think I've always identified as as an artist uh, th through my entire life. And that, that be that the, the kind of shitty little pottery pot thing I gave to my mother when I was six, and she still has oh. um, way through to um, uh, the big paintings, which I do now. There, there is a kind of a each each piece has kind of grown, whether or not it's been a conscious effort or if it's been a subconscious effort. I think that kind of desire to make things has always been um, like part of my life, and this this desire to make different things and to uh, explore the kind of tactile nature of, of, of things. Um, yeah, so. I suppose um, one of the, the kind of key points of when I made a big shift was um, I, I used to work in advertising and uh, digital advertising. So I would spend my days making all these things which I couldn't touch. So um, I, I took a printmaking course, um, God, near on 20 years ago now. Um, and that printmaking course, uh, because I wanted to make something which I could touch, but something just tangible, which I could actually get get into my hands and things. So that's how how I kind of started the process of becoming a professional artist. So I I started with this need to make things which I could which were real. 
um, and learning how to print make and uh, doing that over and over and over again and you know get getting better making lots and lots of shitty prints cool. and um, hopefully a couple of good ones along the way um, so that's it the each one is kind of uh, pushing me on to do that next thing and to be able to build up to the, to uh, like that next thing. So there are those kind of key moments which are like, okay, this is um, what started out as a need, almost therapy, I suppose, um, in, in my work of this idea of actually having to touch something and thing. So that's that, that has kind of come into my practice, this idea of um, this idea of therapy because so much of my practice is has a lot of repetition. Um, be that with the printing press, where I'm literally cranking the machine backwards and forwards, um, sometimes hundreds of times to be able to create one of my monoprints, all the way through to the layers upon layers of layers of paint, which these uh, these paintings here have. Um, th that kind of repetition becomes very meditative, and it puts me into this um, like meditative state. So, I used to say that my artwork was therapy for for the day job. And I I mean, obviously that's a very flippant remark, but I think there's definitely that my art fulfills the emotional need of myself. And I suppose what I hope to, to, to do is to put that emotional need down onto the page um, and for the audience to be able to feel that same connection, feel that same emotion, but to be able to find their own kind of, um, to find their own story inside that art. So I, I, th those ideas of kind of mental health are kind of um, intertwined between everything which I make. That's so interesting. And it's it's nice because art allows you to step outside of yourself in a way that a lot of the mediums don't necessarily allow you to do. Yeah, I think that, that, that a lot of people do do that. But for me, my practice is very much about pulling out of myself um, and re responding to myself. And I, I, I think it's taken me a long time to be able to come to terms with that. But even though my work um, is deeply autobiographical to me, I've, I've hidden, it, hidden it behind so many layers um, and so, so many um, uh, kind of stories that I hope that it is accessible to anybody. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, and I think I like that. That's, it's funny because you say so many layers because, like, both literally and figuratively. And that's what I like about it. And it's kind yeah. of, it, it's curious for me because, and this is jumping way ahead, but when I saw it, because <laughs> I'm very lucky I got to actually see it in person, um, it's very interesting mm. because online is not the same experience as seeing it in person. Like, they're two very different things. No, no, I, I, I completely agree because the way which you see things uh, is different um, because all my work is about layers. And like I say, if you think of it on a subatomic level, well, it's not subatomic, but, you know, um, I'm putting um, layers of trans, translucent ink or paint on top of each other. Um, and that there is, is basically going to shift and change depending on what angle you look at it and that is what gives you that sense of depth but as soon as you take a picture of that that little square where there might have been a hundred different layers of translucent paint has all been converted to one color yeah. pixel uh, and, and so that, that that pixel then gets displayed on a screen around the, the whole world um, and that 
obviously flattens everything out and it um, loses that kind of sense of depth to the work. So I suppose that's where I have um, decided that it's important to use the medium in the way which it's meant to be used, I suppose. Um, so that's that's where I've kind of launched into doing a um, more of these kind of digital works, so these works for the screen. So to not uh, force the the beauty I have with the paper, the texture, and all those kind of like tactile nature which I was talking about before, and trying to expect a screen to be able to reproduce that. So. All my digital work definitely has its footprints inside my analog work, but it's doing what uh, digital does well, which is for it to be interactive and for it to, um, to for it to be able to find another way to be able to connect with all of those emotions. But that's clever that you're conscious of that and that you're actually adapting your own work to that, as opposed to being like you know, ah, oh, you know, people are looking at it online and it's not going to work. Like it's it's quite nice that you're catering to different audiences. Yeah, I, I think that's important, but I, yeah, but you know, <laughs> I've definitely made a rod for my oh, own yeah. back because I sell, my, I, I mean, I, I sell mostly through Instagram. And um, so I've just uh, launched a series called Aurora, mm. which um, can change color depending on the angle which you are, which you will, uh, which you will look at them, which is spectacular and fantastic, but in the world of Instagram, where you've only really got uh, a series of still images or digital images, uh, they don't they don't really sing anywhere near as much as being stood in front of them. Um, that's also because these pieces are quite 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 reflective. Um, so the, the camera or the lights are always in inside the shot. Um, so I, I mean, I do definitely think, why can't I just be a an, a, a um, NFT artist uh, doing a couple of you know board apes and do a quick little drawing inside Illustrator, but you know that's that's not me. That's not what is the way which I work. Actually, out of curiosity, because you mentioned it, what are your thoughts on NFTs? Um, I think NFTs are really really interesting. Um, I I don't think NFTs are are being. Uh, I think NFTs have only just been touched upon. I think that you need to step away from it as um, you, you need to step away from it as art and you need to look at it as means. And when I say means, I don't mean the internet means, I mean what, uh, what Dawkins was talking about means, i.e. a unit of social currency. Um, because that is what you are exchanging with a NFT. Um, the actual artwork itself almost becomes indifferent, uh, indifferent to the uh, the proof of purchase of I was there at that time, um, and that's the bit which I think is really interesting, as, because so many people think of NFT as just a GIF or just a just a image. That's really just the the tip of the iceberg, because I think that that image needs to be representing of something. Um, I mean, if we, if we look at all the big successes of NFTs, so the um, Board Ape Yacht Club and that kind of uh, iteration of, of work where, don't get me wrong, it is very clever to be able to have written that algorithmic program to be able to generate all of those different versions. But I think that that is 
um, the, the real value is as a collection as a whole, i.e. the moment of the, um, being the first big collection. That is, that's, that's what you're buying into. And that's the meme, meme ability, which I am talking about. So the actual work becomes almost incidental against the, the fact that it's a moment in time that you are buying. It does, that and that's actually one of the most positive responses to that question that I've gotten from general people generally. So that's quite nice to hear. So that's a very, a very different perspective. It's actually a very nice perspective to hear. Because um, I think, well, yeah, from my understanding of people I've asked and spoken to, um, NFTs are a huge kind of like, are they good? Are they not good? We're not sure, really. It's kind of, it's, it's, I don't think anyone's done enough research into it to really kind of understand if they're helpful or not. I think that's really the issue. I don't, I mean, I don't think, I think you're asking the wrong question if you're asking if they are helpful or not. Um, did, did you see the work which um, Damien Hurst did? With I did not know. I don't think I did at uh, least. So he released um, uh, 2000 prints and 2000 NFTs of the prints. Oh. Uh, and what happened was, is uh, when he purchased um, for, it was quite an affordable amount for uh for Hurst. when i say affordable you know it's uh it, it, it was a couple of thousand um and then at the end of uh, two weeks uh, you had to choose if you wanted to keep the nft or if you wanted to keep the print oh that's interesting um and the other one would be destroyed that's clever i like that that's so, kind of nice though. that's actually really interesting well what that's doing is asking the question about what is the value of an nft yeah. um mm. Because and are we comfortable with the new world of NFTs, or are we more comfortable with the old world of prints? Um, and it, in my mind, those are the questions which we should be asking. We and we shouldn't be trying to transpose the old world onto this new world, which is, which has been so much of what has gone out at the moment. It, it it's been a whole lot of oh, I make art, I I can make JPEG files. I'm going to sell the JPEG file. But you're not selling the JPEG file. You're you are basically. I mean, you're not selling a license to that. You're you you're selling the idea of that file, um, which which, like I say, is my idea about it being um, about being. You're buying a moment in time, and that's the reason why the um, um, the, the all of your classic memes in the internet sense of the world. So Charlie bit my finger. Um, the um, benign cat, um, those, those points there are people buying a moment in time. I, I also think that this is just the very start because all the money I do believe is coming from not people reaching into their bank accounts, buying Ether to be able to buy these NFTs. I think these are people who have made money out of the rise of Ether uh, and it's not real money at this point. So that they're able to um, spend that because you know it's not money in the bank account. It's just fun money. It's a it's a it's a it's it's the value on top of the investment. Yeah. If that makes sense, it's therefore they are so much more free with the things which they want to invest in. So that that, that that's the reason why I think so much of NFTs at the moment are people prospecting, basically. Uh, and kind of saying, yeah, maybe it's going to be worth a lot. I mean, th there's that story this week about um, Eminem 
um, buying the board ape M&M for something like three million or something, um, which, which made me think, you're buying it for you to say that it's you, or are you buying this to so that you can have a press story and a PR story? Yeah. Because if, because if he had bought it, I mean, the whole point of the blockchain is that nobody knows who you yeah. are, um, you wouldn't to have gone, gone out. So he has publicly said, this is, this is me. So therefore, he's using this as an opportunity to get himself back into the headlines because, you know, he's been making the hit records over the past five years. That's a very different perspective. I've actually not thought of it like that. So thank you so much. That's really, really interesting, actually. Uh, that's very interesting, actually. Um, so getting back to the actual questions I have for you, rather than ask you questions I didn't actually plan to ask. What is the Excellent. biggest challenge of being an artist? Uh, the biggest challenge of being an artist is knowing when something is done. I think that's the biggest challenge of being an artist. Uh, and that's something which you learn over the years of uh, what is done. But I mean, as an artist, you spend your entire day questioning every stroke, every mark, everything, every detail every single detail of what you're doing because you're so immersed inside your process inside what you are making um, and you need to be able to step away and say oh this is good or no i need to change something or you, you need to have that space and having that space is that moment where you say no this is done this is this is the best thing i've ever made because if you're not making the best thing you've ever made then what are you doing so I, I think that, that it, I, I need to have that, personally, I need to have that process to be able to um, get to that point, step away and say, this is done. I'm done with this. What's next? And how do you know when it is done? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I, for, for me, um, this sounds ridiculous, but it's when it sings to me. Yeah. So all of my work is about trying to capture a memory and a hazy memory. So for me, music is so incredibly important to, uh, to, uh, to be able to trigger memories. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people with a massive uh, like record collection and music has always been a soundtrack to my life. So instantly, um, a song can take me to a time and a place. So when a piece triggers that memory, triggers a, triggers a lyric, triggers a voice in, inside my head, that's, that's when I know I've captured that memory, which is the reason why every one of my pieces has a lyric associated with it, um, be it poetry, be it a song. It, it's always kind of part of that. Um, it's, it's always a fun game to play with people of the, can you work out what lyric this is? Um, because for me, that's a, that, that's a hint um to be able to hints to my personal experience but i like the fact that it's like quite ambiguous that you're not giving away exactly what you're feeling or what the point of the work is it's kind of like a hint towards what the work is what the work might be about yeah because for me it's what i make and what i put into the world is is what it's about for me it's so it's so much more important for me to allow space for the viewer to be able to find their story inside my work and i love hearing about 
the the way which the viewer and I can share that emotion and then for them to be able to find all these different places inside this one piece because the way you see something is going to be different to the way which anybody else sees something which is different to the way which I see something but if we can all come together and feel that same emotion then I'm kind of able to um, uh, show that we're not actually that different so even though we're seeing these worlds in different ways we're held together by these same these same emotions so that's that, that's kind of one of the core ideas inside all of my work wow I like that. I like it. It's, it's very considered. And that's what I like about it. Mm. Well, I think as an artist, the work, your work has to be considered. You have to, be, um, I mean, going back to what I was saying before about being able to, artists sweat over every kind of stroke, mark, shape and form thing. Uh, but you, you also need to know why you're doing it. You need to have a clear kind of vision of why and what that is. Um, it's okay for that vision to change as you work, work through that. And I think that's a crucial part. And it took me a couple of years to work that out um, for, for, for a long time. I used to shout at the work, trying to get it to conform to the vision I had inside my head. Now I've kind of opened up a little bit more and I have more of a conversation with the work. So each time I make a mark, I sit back and say, hmm, okay, so what are you giving me back now, um, picture, print, um, whatever you may be? And it becomes more of an interaction backwards and forwards. So like I say, it's less of me trying to dictate what, what it's going to be and more of a, like I say, more of a conversation. So we're recording this on the 11th of January, 2022. Um, and for the last mm -hmm. two years, approximately, we've been dealing with the whole COVID-19 pandemic. Um, how have... Well, how has the pandemic affected you and your work and how have you found like this period of time? Uh, that's a very, very big question. I suppose in the simplest things is um, I was much more focused on my printmaking um, to begin with. And because um, I work in a shared studio, COVID stopped that shared yeah. studio usage. So that means I was unable to print. Ah. Um, and that meant that I was looking for other ways to be able to express myself. So out of the COVID pandemic, I really focused on painting. Uh, and what I what it meant was, is that I I also started going big as well. As, I, as my work kind of crept up from tabletop size uh, paintings all the way now to these kind of monsters behind me. Um, and for the audio recording, they, it's a series of six two by two meter paintings, yeah. um, which is a completely different way of working, a different way of um, like, like approaching. So I'm still trying to uh, evoke these same ideas, these same feelings, but what I'm doing is I'm uh, exploring different techniques and different ways of being able to kind of open that up. So I, I suppose for me, the biggest thing which I've missed through the through the pandemic is the sense of community, um, and that those those conversations with other artists to be able to say, "Hey, this is this is this is the thing I'm working on. What are you working on? Let's talk about this. Let's um, let's well to be able to have that kind of <clears throat> problem-solving brain of 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 the community, which." Um, 
which I didn't realize how important that was to me. And I definitely took it for granted until the COVID pandemic. Um, and to which I, I suppose I then kind of focused a bit more time to be able to, 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 to like do that. So um, out of the, um, so when COVID first struck, I mean, God, almost two years ago, um, the, everything stopped. Yeah. All the shows were canceled, everything stopped. So what I did in uh, the start of April of that year, so it all kind of stopped in March, um, in, in the start of April, what I did is I created a virtual art fair, I suppose. So I basically collected a whole bunch of my friends. And what I did is I created a Zoom uh, like art fair where people could go into different Zoom rooms and you could talk about your arts to these people. Oh, wow. Um, so it was kind of uh, my kind of first response to say, okay, community is really important. Let's build this. Let's make this. Let's, let's, get, let's get artists talking and let's get people talking. Um, so that, that was, I mean, that was great. We did, I, I think, about three of them over, over that first summer. Um, and it was, a, um, I, d I did it with a great friend and artist, um, Fritz, which you may or may not know. He does a whole lot of kind of uh, machine drawing uh, things, which I just adore his Don't work. Don't know. Um, Send but, me his work and I will know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it was a kind of a great way of being able to feel out a new technology and how to use that technology um, to be able to sh share your thoughts with people. Do you still do them now? Um, no, because I think that, um, first and foremost, I think everybody hates Zoom. <laughs> uh, and second of all, I think that there's enough, I, I think the world has caught up with that. It, even the virtual art fairs and all those things which came um, like uh, six months to a year later. The, 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 that gap has been filled, um, uh, and it and it just didn't seem as important to do it. Oh, no, no, and I, I think everybody got a little bit tired of, hey, come to my Zoom party. Yeah. Um, I'm having a quiz. Um, you know what it was yeah. like in yeah. those points. So it, so it became a, it, it, people became tired of, of it. Uh, so like, yeah, let's that, not, let's not invest our time in doing that. And the other thing also happened is I became really yes. busy, which I, I suppose I'm so incredibly thankful and I, and I'm so um, happy about that. I, I feel very, very blessed to, to, to see through the pandemic um, in, in a way which has enabled me to do some of the best work of my career. Um, it's pushed me further, um, and it's—I I suppose it's um, given me clarity of the sort of work I want to make. So, like I say, I feel very lucky that I'm, I'm even able to think in these terms when I know there are so many artists out there who are who, who are struggling just to just to pay the rent. Yeah, that, that's true. I think the thing about the pandemic that we often forget, or at least maybe we don't think of as often, is that. It has affected people both positively and negatively. Um, and, you know, we hear a lot about successes and about people who have thrived during the pandemic, but we don't really think too much maybe about the people who are struggling and who can't do the, produce the work they want to produce because they don't have the means or the resources. 
So, you know, I think it's very nice that you're thinking yeah. about that as well. Oh, no, I think it, uh, it's important. And I suppose that's, that's kind of been something which I've been very aware of um, and thinking about how I can help other people. So, <clears throat> um, I mean, uh, I, once again, have been lucky enough to have to uh, take, on a, take on somebody to be able to help me. So in, instead of putting like a blanket call out there, I, I, I kind of reached out to my friends who I, who I know um, were like yeah. struggling. Uh, like a little, so it's nice to be able to have that assistant role filled by people who needed help. Um, I put on a show over the summer, which was a kind of a digital um, experience. And one of the things which I kept in, in my mind, everything from the catering to the um, all the way through to like the bar staff and all, all those things there is I wanted to choose the people I worked with um, on the grounds of um, is it going to be an opportunity for them? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't that, that um, I was helping people, helping people do what they wanted to do. And I feel um, that's something which I want to keep it into into my practice and into this this art career I have is always working to be able to help people. How can I use my process, my practice, what I have achieved to help others achieve what they want to achieve? That that's a that's a question which this pandemic has definitely brought out in me, and I, I think it was always there inside the back of my mind, but I. It's it definitely moved up the list of priorities inside everything which I do now. I think that's amazing to hear, and I think that's very noble of you. I think you know you should be very proud of the fact that you have even the inkling to do that. Well, I I I think it's just I, I don't think it's anything to be um, to, to be noble about. It's just being a good human, and I think that's that's the the pandemic has should have forced us all to think. What sort of humans do we want to be? Yeah, uh, um, and, and then for you to be able to make those changes, because you know, for the first time in history, we've all stopped. We've all stopped, and we've all paused, and we think about what what we want to start again. And I definitely feel as if there's been too much of a race back to um, what it was, yeah. as opposed to could be. Because you know we are creatures of habit, of and we prefer the comfort of being able to um, uh, being able to feel um, uh, feel the creature comforts of the things we know, um, as opposed to hey, actually, why can't we build this thing in a different way? Why can't we make this different? Um, which I suppose are the questions which I think we we should all be asking of ourselves. And once you get to that, it becomes quite freeing. So, so you can um, like cut the ties, leave the job behind, and do something else. Do do, do the things that you want. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's a very very good point. And it's nice that you've got something positive about this whole situation, as opposed to things being very negative and things being very kind of like gloomy. Yeah, I think that is something which I've uh, it's taken me years to be able to build into my personality. Um, because I, I mean, I was that kind of teenage, um, teenage goth who um, the world was mm. shit, 
Um, and it took me a long time to be able to realize, actually, the world's fucking amazing. And if you walk into any situation thinking it's going to be great as opposed to it's going to be shit, uh, um, it changes your perspective. Oh, yeah. and it, I mean, by just saying yes, instead of, no, I don't know, or I can't do that or thing. By just saying yes, um, that gives you so much power to be able to open up all sorts of possibilities. Um, although I do feel as if we've moved a little bit away from art and more into like self <laughs> No, that's, hey, part of the reason I love doing these conversations is because it's often the things that aren't scripted and aren't kind of topics to talk about that end up being really interesting topics to talk about. So that's absolutely perfect. I'm more than happy. I know the conversations around things more than the conversations themselves. I think that's really great. And that's what the whole fun of having a conversation is because who knows where it's going to end up. But I will get us back on track then. Um, so the next question I had was, um, what kind of skills does one need to be? Uh, wait, let me say that again. I thought that hit this badly. So what kind of skills does one need to pursue a creative career? Like, obviously, the, the actual art itself is only just a small section of what you actually have to do. Um, I, my answer to that would be confidence. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, um, <clears throat> because what you're doing is you are, first of all, you spend your days questioning every mark you make. And then when it becomes a finished piece, you need to be able to have the confidence to be able to take that out into the, out into the world and say, this thing here I've made um, is deserving of your attention. Um, and I think that's the duality which a lot of artists actually struggle with, is that kind of questioning everything and then having that confidence to be able to then go out into the world. Um, because let's face it, art is a luxury item. I mean, it's not food, it's not shelter. Um, I'm not sure where it falls onto, um, Maslow's um, um, pyramid of needs. Um, I'm I'm pretty certain it's somewhere down the, down down the top. Um, so it becomes uh, it becomes a, a question of the, these items which we are putting into the world. We want to be able to make sure that it fulfills um, fulfills its potential. And it's, it's fantastic that you're making things, but keeping them tucked away in a drawer, keeping them hidden away inside your attic, I think that that is almost wasted potential. So that's the reason why you need to have that confidence to say, okay, world, this is something I've made and it's, it, it, it's worthy of me telling you about it. Because I, I, I think one of the biggest exchanges which we have at the moment is our time. Um, because um, that's what the internet has given us is time. And when someone's scrolling through my Instagram page, yeah, I would love them to be able to like buy a painting um, and put it into their home. But what I'm really asking for is for you to spend a couple of seconds with my post to be able to look at it and for me to get me to pause for a second. So. In a way, I'm buying your time more than I am uh, trying to get you to buy a painting. It, 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 does, does that kind of... Uh, that that does make sense. It's a different economy. And if you, if you shift your thinking into a, what I want to do here is obviously 
I want my art to be as accessible as possible. I, I, I want anybody to be able to feel a connection with it. I want that work to be able to be seen. Not everybody can spend 10,000 pounds on a big painting. Um, not everybody can spend 100 pounds on, on one of my limited edition prints. So that's the reason why I publish work to uh, like Instagram so that people can see it, they can appreciate it, they can see they can see some of the ideas which I'm trying to put into the world and for them to be able to connect with it. I mean, one thing which I do is um, every Monday, I give away a screen yes, uh, for, for people. And that's just a that's just a really nice way of being able to um, um, give back to all the people who spend who who have spent their time with me. They they have invested the time. They they have given up some of their time when they could be looking at someone else's work. They could be cooking dinner. They could be doing whatever that is. I it's a nice way for me to be able to build that relationship with somebody. And you know. I definitely get a kick out of seeing my work on someone's um, like front yeah. screen. It it it, it 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 gives me as much of a kick as seeing my work hung up inside a gallery or inside someone's home. That's so cool. But that's also a really nice way for you to kind of connect with the people that follow your work, not just you know be the artist and the followers. It's a nice way to bridge that gap. Well, I. I spoke to a curator uh, when I was first starting my career, and he said something to me which has stuck with me ever since: "Is the collector buying isn't buying the work; they're buying the next thing which I'm going to come up with." Oh. And I've and I've kind of uh, I mean that's obviously for more of an more of an investor, um, but I kind of see that as what they are buying is a piece of yeah. me. Um, and that is what that, that exchange uh, is on Instagram is those conversations is me giving a giving uh, giving a piece of me away um, to be able to for people to be able to feel a connection because I think especially with my art you need to be able to uh, feel that connection with the work and feel that connection with me as well. As, so that I can be your guide to that work and your guide to bringing out the stories which you have about the work which I have made. So are there any sacrifices you've made by being an artist? <laughs> uh, sacrifices. I mean, I, I mean, sure, I could have been a banker and <laughs> I'd be... Um, rich and famous, uh, doing um, doing lines of coke off um, <laughs> Peruvian prostitutes, butt cracks. Um, but I, I mean, that's not me. So it's not a sacrifice, if that makes sense. Um, the, I mean, that that obviously is a little bit more flippant. But um, I, I. I read a, a piece of Nick Cave talking about his process. Um, uh, do, I do you know Nick Cave? Um, he, he, it's absolutely fascinating. And he was talking about his process as he is a vampire upon his own life, where he basically uh, picks through the bones of his life, um, uh, becoming a vulture, kind of picking away at the 
relationships, the stories, the things, for him to be able to create his art out of that. So in a way, the, the, the sacrifices I have made is I have used my life to be able to create the work. So am I going into uh, every experience which I go into, um, every walk, every gallery, every space, am I going into that with a clear, open, joyful mind of this is, this is the moment I'm enjoying this? Or am I going into it thinking, how can I use this as a piece of inspiration? Um, so I think that is, that's the sacrifice of the, that, that cannibalization of your life to, uh, and turning that into, into, into the public, uh, like domain. I, I think that is, that's possibly one of the biggest um, sacrifices. That's so fascinating, though, because like, you get your inspiration internal, internally rather than externally. Um, therefore, like, mm. rather than be sitting there thinking, oh, I need to be inspired by, you know, outside influence, you can just think about your own life. And it's like so very self-reflective. That's very, very interesting. That's yes. very, that's a really good way of working. But you need to obviously keep looking at your own life. Of course, yes. And you have but to then that's, that's, but that's fascinating, though, because it's not even necessarily obvious that that's what you're doing in your work, which is what's really, really clever. But for you, it means that you have a much more yeah. personal connection to your work than people probably think you do. And it's like, it, I bet it means that when, you know, you do sell a painting or you do sell a piece of work or people compliment on your work, it might feel maybe a bit kind of, you probably have more of a stronger reaction to it, I guess, because it, as you said earlier, it's like they're, they're you know, complimenting a piece of you essentially. Yeah, I I always have this moment when someone buys my work where, um, and this is not, never like verbalized first time I'm telling anyone about this, where I always think to myself, um, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want to spend me on this thing? Um, of this little thing I just made? Um, but that's the, that, that's that questioning part of the brain. Which I, which I was talking about before. Um, and I think that I don't ever want to lose that um, because I want it, uh, because I want that emotional connection and I want that emotional connection of where the work's going and I want that story to continue on. Um, so I'm not going to let that go. Um, should, should I become, you know, a like a million pound NFT artist. Um, I, I still want to be able to have that sense of wonder and delight and get a buzz out of someone handing over a good amount of money for, uh, in order to uh, put a piece of my work on their walls, which they have a emotional connection with uh, because they are putting a piece of me on, onto their wall. So that's, that, I definitely want to make sure that that I keep that feeling. Yeah. I don't become uh, complacent or even like blasé about it. It's it's it, that's my way of being able to um, keep it real, man. <laughs> hey, but that's nice to hear because I think sometimes, particularly when commerce is involved and you make money off what you do, sometimes there can be a you know a an exchange where 
it becomes more about the money than the work because yeah, I think I think commerce can sometimes ruin creativity. Um, so yeah, it's nice to hear that you think that way. Yeah, yeah, I think um, commerce ruining creativity is an interesting point of discussion because I think that uh, there is. Um, uh, how can I phrase this? Um, I think there's a place for uh, commerce to encourage creativity. Um, so, so a perfect example is to do a yeah. show. Um, that gives you a hard deadline of you have to make something to put on these walls. You've got to, um, you've, you've got to focus. You've got to edit. You've got to do all those things. You've got to think about how all these different pictures work together. And would you ever do that without that commercial imperative of putting on that show? Sure. Um, so that editing process, I think, is really important to particularly my practice, where I, I because, like, for example, with all my monoprints, I only let out probably one in 10 of all the all the monoprints I make. Oh, wow. Um, because of the way I work, because of the serendipity involved, and because of um, the, I don't know how much ink is going to go down, how much ink is going to be stripped away, and those things. There's, there's a certain amount of control I am surrendering to the process. And that opens up all sorts of lovely doors, and there's lovely surprises sometimes. But there's so many times where it, where it comes out as like, oh, that's <laughs> uh, uh, so I think that that sort of process is um, I've, I've forgotten what the original uh, my question was, but it's it's that kind of way of working, which means that I'm I I, I need to edit, I need to focus, I need to be able to say, is this good? Is this is this bad? Does this need does this need more? Does this to, to, uh, does this need to become something else? Um, so I, 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 th that is that idea of being able to have that commercial focus, have that commercial head on your your shoulders to be able to say, is this is this something which I which I'm going to sign? Is this something which is going to be part of my canon of work? Okay, there yeah, that makes sense. And actually, we'll talk. We'll get into your work in a minute. Um, but before we do, mm -hmm. I actually have a question for you from um, a friend of mine, Laurie Bennett-Levy, who is a brilliant artist creating cyanotypes. Um, she's such a great person. She's just super lovely. And she knew that I was going to interview you because she saw my, one of my stories and she was like, oh, I'm really excited to, to hear this. So I said to her, okay, if you have any questions, let me know and I'll ask him for you. Um, so she sent me some questions, but I'll ask one or two because the rest of them I want to talk about in your work anyway. So um, the first one would be, what put you on the art map? What put me on the art map? Am I on the art map? Is my first question. Um, what, what is the art map? Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, I. That, that that's a that, that's a question which I'm not sure um, I have a good answer to. Um, I, I suppose the best thing I can say is, making work that you love and you feel confident in being consistent about that work uh, so that you create a voice and be clear about that voice. Uh, and then people will find you. 
um, when, when you're clear about what you stand for and who you are inside the art world, then an audience will find you. Um, I, I, yeah, I, that's what I think, yeah, as an art map. Yeah, like I said, I'm not sure what an art map is. I imagine <laughs> that she meant like, you know, in terms of like, when did you kind of understand you're an artist or when did you feel like you're an artist? That's what I imagine she meant. I don't know if that's actually what she meant. I didn't clarify. I just took the questions. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's what, when did I th think that I was an artist? I mean, on one hand, so uh, I, I think I've always been an artist. But on the other side of that, I question every, every day oh, wow. whether or not I'm an artist. I, I question every day with every mark I make. There's, there's definitely a, a whole, oh, this isn't working. This isn't, uh, those kind of stresses. Which um, which go into like making work. Where recently, I'm not I'm not just questioning the marks I make. I'm, I'm questioning the whole thing. I'm, I'm questioning whether or not these marks are important or those things. So I I think that that self doubt is a double edged sword, in the fact that it drives you crazy, of course, but it opens up to be able to. Um, create something unexpected. And I think you've got to be open to that. And you've got to be able to kind of have those breakthrough moments to be comfortable with being as exposed as that and being as exposed to able to break it down and throw out, is this, is this even art, this thing which I'm making? Is this good? Is this, to be asking those questions on that kind of fundamental level, I think, well, for me, pushes me harder to be able to uh, make something. And like I said, my goal, and this is possibly a little um, a little American, is to make sure that the, the last thing out of my studio is the best thing I have ever made. Yeah. Uh, which is a high bar. Of course. Um, uh, but if, if, I'm, if I'm letting something out, which I'm not happy with, then, I've put something into the world which will sit inside my canon of work and I'm always going to be going, ah, that's a bit shit. I mean, one of the things which I live in fear of in these kind of fantasy uh, like daydreams I have, when, when they do my major retrospective at the Tate after I've died, um, someone going through my sketchbooks and pulling them out and putting them on display. I mean, for, for me, that feels so incredibly um, uh, revealing that this thing which I'm making, um, which is just me almost being a primal scream at times, is going to be put out there into the world, um, which, which makes me go, um, uh, do you know how, um, how um, like everyone has a friend who will, on, on hearing about the news of your death, will delete your um, will delete your um, internet browsing <laughs> <Yes>. history. <laughs> I think there should be someone in the art world who, on hearing of the news of your death, will go through and um, burn <laughs> all of the <laughs> out there, so that it all um, like disappears. And then you can have that pristine view of um, of of the myth. Uh, of which which we are all trying to create that's so cool that's so true as well though because 
you you have got a good point actually in terms of like you know when an artist does reach the end of their life and people kind of reflect upon their work and they do have a retrospective it's very much edited it's very much kind of like there's a whole process of of how they're going to be represented in the best light and they're going to be represented through so many artists eyes not their own and actually how important is it for you to have kind of control of the exhibitions and the kind of I guess the dissemination of your work um honestly that's a question which hasn't come up too much at the moment at this point yeah. in my career but I am I mean I think by definition being an artist you are a control freak um so you want to be able to um, uh, focus on how the different paintings sit next to each other and to be able to curate that I, I mean but having said that when someone else has curated my work they, they've put together things which I wouldn't even consider um, and that is always refreshing so I think that, um, that that's something which I would love to explore more is to see how other people see my work and how they put that together um, I was lucky enough to go to the um, Jasper Johns show at the Whitney um, over, over Christmas and there's an entire room dedicated to uh, this is a major retrospective of his work. There's an entire room dedicated to the correspondence about him, um, and it's back, and and also his correspondence with the gallery. So it is absolutely fascinating to see how he talks to the gallery, how the gallery talks to him, and the kind of reverential nature of that, all the way through to uh, people who were writing letters to to the gallery. Um, asking why they spent a million pounds on <laughs> this painting, uh, and and the responses which they gave as well. And so it 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 was fascinating to see the myth making isn't something which is done at the end of someone's sure. career. The myth of artist is beautifully curated throughout the throughout the entire the entire time, um, and that's why I love the show is. To see him as an artist now in his 90s, still creating work, still responding to the world around him, but still carrying through these um, these threads of his work back to back to the 1960s. Wow. Uh, it's it's a very good show. I enjoyed it a lot uh, from that point of view. But you know, if you don't like Jasper Jones, you'll hate the show. <laughs> so actually, talking about whack, let's get into your whack a little bit more. Um, so can you describe your work for those who may not have seen it? Um, my work is, um, like I say, it's about capturing the emotions and the feelings of the place. So I use colour and shape to be able to um, build this sense of emotion. Um, so that comes out in lots of different ways. Um, but pr primarily it comes out with these kind of strong colour fields. Uh, which I layer over the top. So my work is very influenced by color because color is a very quick way to be able to trigger those emotions. Um, and uh, color theory has always kind of fascinated me. Um, and so my work, some people read them as landscapes. Uh, some people read them as seascapes. Some people uh, see them as um, kind of abstraction. Um, I see them as almost sound waves. Oh. Um, so 
um, yeah, th this is something which I haven't talked a lot about. Um, so this scheme of work is all about, uh, was kind of triggered off by me reading a, uh, a interview with Peter Saville about Joy Division's first album, uh, which is called Unknown Pleasures. Uh, you, you, you will know it because the image has moved into uh, like popular culture. It is um, a series of wavy lines on a black background. Um, and those wavy lines are, are, the sound, uh, are a sound of a radio telescope um, looking at a black hole. So I became really kind of fascinated at this idea of the, the, um, the synesthesia of being able to uh, display um, something physical in a sound wave and then to take that sound wave and turn that into something physical, which is a visual representation of that sound wave. And this kind of synesthesia I, I thought was really kind of interesting. So in a way, all my work and this, this language which I'm working on at the moment harks back to that. And this idea of being able to say, how can I capture these memories through sound, through um, th through uh, th through these emotions, and to put them onto the page? So that's what that's what it is at the heart of all my work. So, like I say, they are landscapes, but they don't look like places. They um, they that's because that landscape is an idea which I've conjured inside my mind. Um, and it's a landscape inside my head, and that landscape may be the sound and the song which I can hear when I am going back through that memory. And that doesn't necessarily relate to the visual on the page. Wow, that's that's so interesting. Because the thing that so the thing that fascinates me about that is that like that's and which is why I'm really glad that you agreed to do this is because and I I'm pretty sure I said to you when I met you that how you not ask the question how do i not ask the question and you not described it you wouldn't necessarily get that from just looking at your work straight away like the you know two or three seconds you look you take to look at a piece of work you wouldn't get that necessarily yes and i suppose that's the thing but i mean i i put all the hints and clues into into the title and into the bit of like song lyric, which i always put out with every piece so Yes, in the walking around a gallery and uh, those kind of instantaneous gut feelings of do I like it or do I not like it, uh, that, that kind of, uh, is this enough to, to stop your thumb from scrolling on um, Instagram uh, sort of feeling? I'm never going to compete with that or you can't tell so much of a story at that level. Um, and that, that's the reason why the viewer needs to be willing to be able to engage a little bit more. Um, I, I mean, I do think there's that there's kind of two ways which you can appreciate art. One is that kind of instant, guttural, emotional connection with the work, where you instantly look at it and say, I like that, or I hate that, um, which I think are equally valid responses and um, doesn't uh, doesn't make the success of the work any less because sometimes an, an artist wants you to hate the work. Um, 
which kind of leads you to that next way of being able to uh, appreciate art is to be able to look at it, understand it, understand its time and place inside society, and then be able to feel that appreciation where you may not like it, it may not be aesthetically pleasing to you, but you can appreciate it. You can appreciate that it's a, it is a good piece of art. Um, so I, I think those kind of two ways of being able to interact with work. Um, what I try to do is to be able to simplify down my message as much as possible so that uh, people can take that journey um, from that, that like one second glance and then start to spend more time with a piece of work. I mean, the more time you spend with my work, the more details which will be that's revealed. Um, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's the reason why I love people like Jasper Johns, Rothko, all of those kind of American um, artists from that time. Um, because from a distance, it's just a target or it's just a square. But the more time you spend, the more details you see, the more the piece will reveal to, to, to you. Um, <clears throat> growing up, I hated Rothko because I'd only ever studied Rothko in books. Um, and it wasn't until I got to the Rothko room at the Tate um, in my 20s when I thought, oh, now I see what everybody's talking about. That texture, that emotion, that pure emotion which he puts onto, on, onto a page, which comes from his language, which comes from the way which he uh, controls everything from the lighting to, the, to, uh, to, to all the paint. That, that there made me realize that every time which I see them, I will feel something more, I'll see a new detail. And that's what I hope in a, in a very modest way, I'm able to bring a little of that into, into my work so that it rewards you over and over and over again. So from a distance, yeah, that's a, that, that's a lovely big like, color field, which kind of matches the sofa. But the more time you spend with it, the, the, the more, uh, more details you see, the more of an emotional connection you will be able to build up with it. So the thing that's really clever about your work though, is that because as you said earlier, like it's very much based on color and you know, color theory and kind of like the energy of color, I guess, is that there's always something for mm. everybody. Yes, that's, I mean, that's my desire to be able to make my work accessible. Um, and I think because it is, because I'm using that color theory, I am opening the way for uh, everybody to be able to build their story into it. Um, I'd like to say that I've opened the door for people to walk in. Whether or not they choose to walk in or not is up to them. So as much as I'd love to say it is for everybody, I have had, uh, I, I've definitely had um, a lot of feedback that, oh, it's not for us. And how do you take that feedback? Um, I think that when you put anything in the world, you've got to be confident enough that in what you're putting into the world is worthy being in the world. Um, and that's where the validation of others has this kind of interesting dance backwards and forwards. Um, do, do I need the validation of others? I think it comes down to who gives me that sort of feedback um, and how important is that feedback to the person? If it's just, some person on the street, I, I, 
I'm able to kind of brush it off. But if it's, say, another artist, a curator, or, or someone like that, who is saying the, who is, who is giving me critical feedback, as opposed to don't like it, um, then that's a, that's a discussion I wanted to have. That's a chat which I want to talk about. Because even if I come out, out of that discussion with my mind changed or my mind not changed, having that discussion has opened up, opened up possibilities, which I hadn't thought about. Um, so I think criticism is a vital part of being, of being an artist. And I think that um, uh, that's what art school kind of trains you for. Yeah, uh, is to be able to stand up at stand up at a crit and to be able to justify every mark you make, um, and to be able to stand out. That 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 is that's that's training for you. And I'm also going to say, working in advertising for a long time. Now that's a that's a harsh environment <laughs> to be able to take criticism. Yeah, but I can imagine because you know a lot of people are allowing you to create something. Um, so yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so your work is about memory, but I'm actually kind of really curious as to why you think, or at least why you chose art as the medium to express memories. Um, honestly, that's because. Um, that's what I'm interested in. There, the, the, there's a lovely idea that um, uh, people um, inside the scientific research world, people always research things which they are interested yes. in, um, which is uh, referred to as me-search, <laughs> which, uh, which I love. Um, and as a as a as an artist you're going to look into things that you're interested in and because my memory is so bad um it's it's something which has kind of fascinated me throughout my whole my my whole life so it becomes a um it's 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 something i can't separate if that makes sense i i i am an artist and i have a bad memory so therefore the way which I'm going to express the thoughts I'm having about memory is going to be through the art. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, get my doctorate in neuroscience as much as I would love to, um, to be able to help me explain the way which I feel about the world. <laughs> How's that? That's a good point. I mean, that's a good point. I think it's just, I'm just kind of curious because I think memory is, memory is, is not a, memories are not solid you know they're not things that are provable that's what i so that's, that's what why I, love I, so I guess that's kind of why i'm fascinated why you choose his memory as like a, a topic of um discourse even because it's like i i love that memories aren't real yeah like everything you, you can get into an existential crisis as long as, as soon as you realize that None of your memories are true and accurate representations of what happened. Um, the and, and the way that your memory actually works is you're not accessing some kind of database inside your brain of that. That's the time which I which I did that. What what you're remembering is the last time you remembered that thing. 
So, so what you're doing is you're overlaying context of that time around the top of it. And what your memory actually does is it pulls in uh, uh, sensors. So you, you may have a visual memory of that time you ran through a forest and instantly your brain says, oh, through a forest, a forest smells like this. Um, and um, the, the light's strong, so it was warm. And it's, it's building in all these other pieces of sensory information, which aren't associated with that memory. It's your brain reconstructing them. So th that means that every thought which you have, every ounce of your being, um, every part of your memory, uh, which makes up you, and that moment of who you are is basically a unreliable witness uh, to your life. You are an unreliable witness to everything you have become. Um, outside of this moment which you are living in right now, everything else which has built you to this moment is unreliable. So th that is the reason why I feel the need to be able to kind of capture that and to kind of build on that. Um, so that, that's an important, I, I suppose, step for me is to, that's why I refer to them as misremembered uh, like landscapes. And it's willfully mis misremembering these things because the, those memories are what makes up my life. That, that, that's what makes up me. So memory is kind of, um, you need those memories to be able to make those plans forward. Um, and that, that kind of misremembering and your ability to be able to shift and change and look at how plastic all of your memories are um, to be able to uh, push forward and to move to where you want to go. That's such a fascinating way of talking about it. But, do you, but actually, but do you ever think that memories can be a very... I don't know, like people which are, oh, yeah, my worst about memory because they don't ask to talk about or they don't have us to talk about their work. Like it, it can be quite a kind of just like a broad topic of um, have a description for somebody's work. Yes, but you said, I mean, that's what, once again, going back to what we were talking about before is the one second uh, look yeah. at it and uh, or do you read what has been written about the work? Do you dive in deeper? So I think that a lot of artists need to have that kind of top level. Um, uh, my work is about this. So that you need that hook to be able to start a conversation with somebody about the work. Um, and, then that, and then that conversation can kind of help you unpick everything like what I like what I I have said. So I think it's a necessary evil in the communication of your ideas. Yeah, that's a that's a very good necessary evil. <laughs> that's cool. So your work, do you think that the process of your work is more important than the final image? Um I think that the process of my work is more important to me. And the final image is more important to the audience. Wow. Uh, so the, the the way which I work through my work, the way I um, uh, kind of build up the 
build up the layers, build up this kind of connection with the work. I need to go on that journey. I need to have that conversation with the work in order to able to get to a finished object. And when that object is finished, then I'm able to, to say, okay, pause, done. This is the best thing I have done. I shall let it out. And when I let it out into the world, that's when it becomes more important to, to like somebody else. If, if that finished object was more important to me, I would never, I would never sell anything. Right. Uh, having said that, I do have a drawer <laughs> of perfect pieces. The ones which are the ones which perfectly capture uh, capture what I was trying to say, um, and they are the ones where I feel such a strong emotional connection with that I can't let them go. Wow. Uh, and so they, I mean, that's that, that's yeah. the kind of most personal art which I have. That's really really interesting um, because. You know, you're creating, as you know, as I can tell, you're creating for yourself first and foremost. It's about kind of like your own feelings and thoughts. But it's kind of interesting the fact that you would actually keep it. Like, that's very interesting. Well, like I said, it's, these are all like diary entries yeah. in like one way or another. And sometimes you don't want to give away those, those, those pages of your diary. So, so sometimes you've got to keep those like, those things for yourself. Um, I mean, I I've never gone back through that drawer, so I wonder if when I do, will I um, will I have moved on? Will those memories not be so raw and um, emotive? Will my memory have reconstructed each of those memories into something a bit more palatable in um, in a um, in a CBT kind of way, so that I lose that connection with the work, and I I am able to I, I am able to let go of it. That's so cool. That's so interesting, though, uh, because it's kind of like it just shows that you know you're very connected with your work, but not just on the level of I'm an artist, I create work. It's like you really feel the importance of what you're creating. And, you know, it obviously is clearly personal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And I, I mean, it's, it's that, that question of importance is something which um, is interesting because uh, sometimes I think you have to make the work, put the work into the world for you to understand the importance of it. And when that work is in the world, People, the way people respond to that um, uh, changes that importance. Um, as so, the, the show which I did over the summer, the Fieldscape show, I didn't realize the importance of that until I had, until I had done it. Um, what started out as a interesting way of being able to turn the camera around from the emotions. So rather than putting the emotions on the page. Let's read the emotions of the viewer and co-create a piece of work. What I didn't realize is outside of that, when I um, when people came out of the box, when they came out of that experience, um, I was holding up a mirror to them of their emotions. And that instantly got people talking. 
and people wanted to talk to me about what that was, um, what that was feeling, what they were feeling, where they were. And it, it became a really interesting tool to be able to get people talking. And I think that was a was um, was the unexpected importance of the work, and that that is what made me think, oh, that's why I do this. Yeah, you've actually done some quite interesting projects actually over the last you know three to four months even. Um, can you talk a bit about them, particularly like the Nuki Renaissance project, for instance? Okay, the Nuki Renaissance project. Uh, that was a residency I did in Nuki, um, and that was <clears throat> um, I spent a week there um, by the sea, which is it's a brilliant, lovely, lovely place. I I definitely fell in love with it, and um, I had the opportunity to be able to work with six young people to be able to paint a mural in some alcoves uh, which faces out onto the sea. So what I did is I basically worked with them to be able to help them talk about their relationship with the ocean and their, their connection with the sea. Um, so th this, was the, the, this was the first time which I had, had done something like this. And I was fascinated to see how these, these guys uh, feel about the sea, feel about the ocean, feel about uh, the world, because this was all really like a metaphor for the way which they saw the world. And it was so wonderfully refreshing to talk to these guys and to get them to, sh uh, to share their stories. Um, and on sharing their stories, they, they showed me um, uh, that they showed me a little bit of their life. So basically, we spent a day kind of working out what the design was going to be, what it was going to look like, um, and what, what the colors meant to them um and how those colors interacted and what what it all meant and then we spent a day um painting so it was it was a it, it was like i say it was such a wonderful experience to be able to um, do that um and whilst i was down there i um i created a series of cyanotypes as i've been calling them where i created cyanotypes uh, by using the waves of the ocean uh, to be able to create my marks. So um, as you know, the cyanotype is a photographic process. So um, what I did is I, I, I created these huge sheets, which are a meter and a half long. Um, and I used the ocean washing away the cyanotype solution whilst it was being set by, by the sun. Uh, so it kind of created these lovely kind of shapes and forms um, and something which could only have been created in the That's sea. That's crazy. At time. Like that, the whole idea of, of just even thinking about that kind of process is when I read about it, I was like, this is incredible. Like I've never, I, at first I didn't realize you could do that, firstly. And secondly, like how interesting is that, that your work is already so organic, but actually using nature itself to create the work is extremely interesting. Well, my work is organic because my process involves that serendipity of how do I tear and, and, and thing. So I was uh, I was introduced to um, Megan Ripinoff. Um, uh, she does a lot of cyanotypes, and she um, 
I I borrowed her idea of um, of um, dragging them into dragging them the cyanotypes into the sea. So if you if you do a search for her, you'll be kind of blown away by the kind of explosive nature of her cyanotypes uh, because they show a real power of the sea. Um, whereas mine was definitely going for something which is a bit softer, a bit gentler, um, as I was using them in a slightly different way. Um, so, yeah, as, as we say, we all stand upon the shoulders of that actually giants. That makes me kind of think like your work, your work is quite soft and it is quite, it, it has more of a, has a more gentle feel as opposed to it being very kind of like bold and striking and eye-catching. It's, it's very like, it's more subtle. Well, I, I try to find subtlety even when I am being bold. Um, so the, the work which I'm looking at on the walls at the moment are very, very subtle. Um, as I'm thinking to myself, is that even too subtle at the moment? Um, uh, but I've definitely done work which is bolder and shoutier. I mean, like these ones here, which are yes. reflective. Um, so that, bit, uh, and I mean, they kind of shift and change as you move around them. Um, so I, I think the, the boldness comes in different ways, if, if that makes sense. So I think that my work isn't aggressive and isn't violent, but it's, I think it, 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 I think it can definitely, definitely be bold at times. And I think it can be calm at times. And a lot of the things which I am interested in is how we're able to be able to uh, subvert each of those things. So, for example, um, I did a bit of work which was kind of based on these like really loud, um, uh, really strong, bold yellows um, and reds. Um, and then, which are, which are usually, you know, colors of warning and energy and um, uh, excitement. And what I did is I found a way to be able to temper those. So I kind of like this being able to walk in, walk in both camps, um, to, to be able to find that texture and find a, a like a softer way to be able to use these things which you traditionally associate with, um, like shoutiness, and find a softer, like a way of softening. So it's very interesting because at the other art fair, and I you probably know his work, but I met another artist, Jao Chuo, um, and you probably know his work. And your work and his work are very nicely aligned in the way that it's very organic and it's very like about shapes and texture, but it's also very accessible and very kind of in some, in, in a way, very commercial in terms of like, it can be very much custom made for people. Um, if it, if it, if it, if they choose it to be, cause I'm just thinking like, there's so many different things you could do with your work. And there's so many different ideas. Like, you know, you're talking about being reflective, like, Imagine if you made shapes out of like mirrors or something yeah. and it became this huge kind of, you know, interesting piece talking about, you know, the person looking at it and how they're part of the work and all that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, that's a, that's a perfect example of what, I, what yes. I'm doing with the field sculpture yeah. at the moment, which is, it is it, it's putting a camera onto you. Um, yeah. So that, that but I'm, I am interested in, in the space between work and the viewer and being able to in, in, enable that and kind of bridge that, 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 that space so that the viewer feels as if they are part I of it. I think it's really work. interesting because in my mind, I can see 
your work can go in so many different directions and that's what makes it really exciting and that's what makes it really kind of fresh and current mm. and it makes me think you know you could literally do anything next and it was going to surprise me but it'd be a pleasant surprise and like that's the cool thing like your latest series that shifts and changes like that's just incredible and i've sent it to quite a few people yeah. actually who have also said it's incredible um so it's it makes Thank me you. kind of think like you're actually progressing the future of mm. art it's not just a oh this is a really nice image i'm making it's like uh this is an experience i'm making I I would I I thank you for 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 your kind words. Um, I I think uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'm progressing the world of art. I'm making the things I'm interested in, and <clears throat> I, I I am standing on on the shoulders of giants. I am I'm building up. Uh, I'm doing my version of people who who, who have come before me. Um, I suppose. Because I have a wide interest, I have a wide kind of fascination. Um, I'm able to explore that, and I'm able to dip my toe into lots of different things. So that's that, that's the reason why I'm excited by it, and excited by the by the possibilities, and little things um, kind of help me to, to be able to explore that. I being lucky enough to be able to get this commission uh, has meant me. It, it feels as if I've taken yeah. the next step, and that's where the, the the collaboration between me and my collector becomes an interesting discussion. And I wouldn't have done this work if they didn't have the space for this work for me to come and say, "Oh, I've got this idea." Um, and so that is what has pushed me. And the reason why these big paintings. I find so exciting and <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Um, uh, but that's that, that's the way you, of course. you have to be, right? You, you, you have to be pushing yourself out of your, your comfort zone to be able to work out what you want to do. And I just want to, to talk be. to you also about your recent sculpture that you made, the warming light sculpture. Can you talk a bit about kind of like yeah. the idea behind it and how that whole project came about? Because that's absolutely fascinating. Um, so the one light sculpture is about being able to, um, so I was approached to be able to create a piece to sit in Wales for, for the winter. Um, and my kind of vision of the north of Wales in winter is it's pretty bleak, it's pretty cold, it's pretty kind of damp and dank. Um, so what I wanted to do was find a way to bring that kind of warm, warm like summer light into, into the world. Um, so this was an opportunity for me to be able to paint with light. Um, so what I did is I created a series of translucent panels, which were all different colors and um, interacted with each other as, as you looked through them. So that is the object, but realistically for me, the art is the, the way which those colors match, uh, match together and project onto the ground. So what I was trying to do here was create those kind of warm summer days for the cold winter nights, which is the reason why it's called warming lights. Because it looks really magnificent, like in scale and just in kind of like the position of it in the landscape as well. And it's kind of really nice that your work is reflective of the landscape was also being in the actual landscape itself. Oh, well, that's so cool. You have a little model of it. That's amazing. Yeah. So this was my first little Marquette as I kind of worked out. 
uh, going from the idea because the sketch I did didn't make sense. Um, so th this was the first thing which I, I kind of built to be able to show, show my collector. And I think which is I kind of took a video of this like this and was like, the, it was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, because it, like I said, it kind of uh, enabled exactly. you to walk around the space and walk around, to be able to walk around a sketch by holding up a couple of sheets of plastic and film. Um, but that, uh, that, that was the way which I told him about what I wanted to make for the space. And I took a picture of it with the sun shining through and you could see the, the way which the colors um, like reacted with things. Um, so that was the kind of the process to that. The, the scaling up, I learned a lot of things, everything from um, fabrication through to um, how acidic <laughs> concrete is, um, and also how to be able to shift and change your idea so that it can respond yes. to a budget. Uh, because working at that scale, which is what two and a half meters by a meter and a half by seven meters, uh, I mean that's yeah. that's monstrous. That is absolutely monstrous. Um, so kind of learning how that works together and how that how holds together and um, the, the the structural engineering of that became a whole other process outside of the art of this is the idea I want to get across. Now how do I execute that? Um, because my original plan was to um, do it all in uh, to do it all in um, do it all in glass, um, and for it to wow. not have any frames around the outside, for it just to be these glass uh, like panels. That turns out oh, to yeah, be really absolutely. expensive to, to yeah. glass. Um, so then I kind of looked at acrylic. And then I found out that you can't put acrylic anywhere near concrete because concrete will burn through the acrylic oh, and fall over. Little, little wow. things about chemistry, which you learn. Um, so that, that facilitated the need to build frames. And I, I suppose this is, this is the process which um, you have the idea, you have the sketch, and then the how do you make that come to life? Um, so it, it was a very interesting um, learning process for me, and I'm I, I'm just blown away with the result because it does feel yeah epic. It really do you actually have any more plans to create any more kind of sculptures, or do you still want to create some kind of three D work in the future? I am always interested in inside three D work, and I'm currently planning um, a additioned paper cut. Um, so where are you? Um, so I've just bought myself a, um, oh, a wow. laser cutter. Um, so what I'm going to do with that is build up an addition of, um, lots of layered piece of paper stuck on top of each other to kind of build up that sense of depth and build up that world. Um, so I think I don't see any differentiation between 2d and 3d. Um, because in a way, I think my my prints and my paintings are 3D. They're just this this 3D yeah. as opposed to this 3D. Uh, 
so that 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 kind of separation between um, like a couple of mil versus a lot more uh, becomes more important. So it's really funny um, you just said about the laser printer because I was going to ask you about kind of collage and the idea of stacking up paper. And an artist I wrote down to send to you is an artist called Alex Ekman Lorne, who is a phenomenal collage artist. And his work is very much about layers. Um, okay. And I was going to, I'm going to send you his work later. Okay. But um, it's funny you should say that because that was what I was going to ask you next in terms yeah. of like, has that something you've thought about? So it's funny you should say that. That's exactly what you're thinking of doing. Well, th this actually comes from a series of uh, sculpture markets, which I did about, uh, I'm going to say, two years well it's pre-pandemic so that's obviously more than two years ago um where i basically built little um little worlds inside a 10 by 10 centimeter cube um i will send you this link and you can have a look at it um uh, which kind of creates this um Created this feeling. So I, I've always been interested in this idea of building up uh, like space, um, be that over over kind of text and things, I suppose, or or that over um, like paint and paper. Um, sorry, oh, no, I it wasn't a question. I was just talking about the idea of uh, say about the paper cutting. Um, that's kind of really, really, really interesting. Just because. Yeah. Uh, a step in your work I can imagine that you'd be doing or you'd think about doing at some point. So it's nice that you just said that that's something you're thinking about doing. Well, I, I think paper has always been an important part of my work, even when I'm doing paintings. So there's that kind of paper texture which um, I try to bring into things. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think that's always going to be a part of my practice. Um, and so it, it it doesn't feel that much of a leap or a, a no and actually stretch and i've just seen that that kind of the cube and the world inside it it does make me think about your work in relation to space and the idea of your work is very much about space you might not think it initially but it's very much about both negative and positive space and kind of like the things in between that's very very interesting that's a i think it's all yeah. about inviting you in to these these spaces so i think that everything i do creates a space for you to be able to be invited in and to be able to make your own vision make your own world um so yeah i i i definitely agree it's about building building these worlds building these spaces for the for the viewer to be able to come and visit so be they a, a little sculpture of lots and lots of sheets of torn paper all stuck together um yeah i mean literally i tore every one of those sheets by hand um so i mean that was a wonderful piece of therapy for me because of the repetition um so by shifting that around and uh looking in a way so i could addition that i think it, it is quite interesting yeah i'm actually kind of really curious though is that it's kind of going back to your more paintings and more monoprints, but are there any colors that you don't like to use? Um, you know, in art school, they say uh, yes. never use black. Um, 
I I used to believe that until I discovered a um, a black which is blacker than black, and I realized that yeah. there's a lot of power in black. Um, I mean, I probably should have known this <laughs> from all of my gothias, um, but there's a lot of power in 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 the black and this this black which I've found by by culture hustle black. 3.0 as they've called it is um is so black it's able to make three things 3d things look flat um and there's a there that kind of opened up a different mindset for me um opened up a, um, a different possibility so are there any colors which i don't use no um i think for the right emotion which it's going to find um then i'm happy to use any color um there are definitely no colors which are off off the books so then the flip side to that is what's your favorite color to use uh um <clears throat> i i'd like to say that i don't have a favorite but i am fascinated by blue um, that there's that there's so many kind of lovely mis, mis, mixed messages around blue. Um, so, for, for example, um, when we think about blue, we we think, oh, I'm feeling a bit blue. So, uh, I feeling a bit sad, a bit miserable. Um, or the other way we think about blue is in like blue sky thinking, and. I like that this one this one color can uh, uh, solicit such a wide range of emotions, um, and I also love that it kind of shifts and changes its meaning uh, depending on its context. Um, there's a there's a lovely story about um, um, uh, um, when Homer was uh, writing uh, in the Iliad. Uh, he describes the ocean as being like the color of dark red wine, um, which um, was because the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, didn't have the word for dark blue, um, and but but they had the word for wine, obviously. <laughs> so I love the thought and the idea that. Um, this this word which we use all the time can be so a incredibly emotive but for for, for us to i mean it's arbitrary color so color is uh, color is a spectrum and we as a society have decided that <clears throat> from this point on the spectrum to this point on the spectrum is blue why have we decided that? Why have we not gone a little bit one way, a little bit the other way? And that's even before we get to the thoughts about the meanings which are which associate with that, the the, the socio-political meanings which are associated to each of these colours. Um, I mean, just think about red and how red is used um, as a warning colour, but it, it, but inside Asia, it's 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 a colour of good luck. Um, or if you look inside back back to um, back to the West, um, uh, red is also a symbol of love. Um, I like a red heart. So it's I, I love how the kind of the context and the meaning of all these 
uh, these different colors kind of shifts and changes depending on uh, the, the society. And like I say, because it's on a spectrum, we've all agreed that this is this color and this is that color. Yeah, especially if your reach is international with the internet, it, it's kind of interesting that people would have very different sponsors to your work based upon how color is kind of fed to them in their own society. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, I've and never ever thought about that in terms of like how different countries see colors. That's yeah, so interesting actually. That's not I'm really going to be looking up after this. Um, that's <laughs> really no, that's really interesting because we. Obviously, here in the West, we just we kind of obviously are aware of you know color theory and aware of you know the emotional impact of colors. But yeah, I don't really think about how other people see it outside of the West and how your image could be read in a very very different way in a very different context from how you originally intended. And actually, how important is it for your for your work to be understood by other people? I think it's really important for them to be able to uh, find their own connection with it. So it needs to be read, it needs to be understood, and it needs to be open enough for them to find their story inside the work. And color is just one way of being able to um, like do that and to be able to feel that connection. Do you actually have a favorite image you've created? Um, are you going to make me pick from all of my children? Um, <laughs> no. Um, no, because like I said, I try to, uh, I mean, okay. My favorite image at the moment is the one which I put onto, up onto the wall today. Yes. Um, but that's because it's what I've made today. And that's what I'm interested in today. Um, ask me tomorrow, it'll be a different one. Oh yeah, that's what I was meant to ask you earlier. I just remembered because you said. Um, you said earlier that you're always trying to make the best image. But yeah. then my question too, I was thinking about like, so if you make more than one image at once, how do you know which of those two images are the better image? It's because you're only going to finish one at a time. So it's literally yeah. just the last one you finished. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I want to make sure that, that thing there, which I have made is the best, or I believe it is the best thing which I have made. So far. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Because if the next thing which I make is the best thing which I've made, the one previous to that isn't the best anymore, if that makes any sense. So it's my way of being able to push myself on and on. Yeah, you want to top it because you're like, okay, cool, I created it. I'm going to push this up to the next level. And that's quite interesting because your work, as you said earlier, you know, it can be quite repetitive, but at the same time, it's not all repetitive. Like, and how do you kind of expand your work so that, you know, it's always something interesting and different for you each time? Um, I think that could be, comes with moving into different mediums. I think it becomes uh, looking at different scales because all those things which you see the work. Um, uh, so by changing medium, changing scale, that changes everything about about what I'm doing. That's cool. That makes a lot. Of, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because if you look at your 3D work, you've just you you know you're not uncreated, and you look at your so anotypes, they're very, very different from your paintings. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what are your thoughts on social media? What parts of social media? So just the whole idea of, is social media helpful to you in your practice? Um, social media is a great way to be able to have a 
one-on-one discussion with my collectors or anyone who's interested in my work. So there's definitely a lot of value in that. Um, I would uh, social media gives me the ability to be able to talk to anybody who wants to talk to me and the ability to be able to step into someone else's um, in, into someone else's head. So yeah, I, th- I think session is crucial to any artist who wants to be relevant in this world. How has that impacted your practice though? Is that, is that helpful to you? Um, uh, it is helpful to me in the inspiration. So there are definitely lots of art which I which I have coming into my feed, which is stuff where I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to steal that little bit of it, um, or oh, that's really interesting. I'll steal that little bit and I'll bring it together and create something different, um, which you know is what art is, really, isn't it? Like I say, we all stand on shoulders of giants. So that's a, an important part of my practice. Has it changed my practice? No, not really. I think it's uh, given me an opportunity to be able to share and to be able to uh, open up and have those conversations. Um, Would I be making what I'm making without social media? You know, probably not. Uh, Social media and my followers are uh, are the reasons why I have a career as an artist. So it it, it becomes... um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a push and pull, I, I suppose. Um, and it's important to be able to uh, be there and to use it. I mean, I, I don't really use um, my social media outside my public persona. Um, the, the way which I use like Facebook um, has changed. I mean, I used to put up anything I found, uh, any kind of funny thought I had, I would put uh, up onto Facebook. And now just looking back through Facebook memories, I kind of cringe a little bit because apparently <laughs> no one near as funny as I thought I was. Um, <clears throat> so I don't really have that deeper connection with the, uh, my Facebook. So I use the, the public persona of me as an artist is what I put out there. So I don't feel the need to show you what I've had for lunch and uh, yeah. think that every little utterance I put out into the world is a genius. Um, it really is just all about helping people engage with my work. So everything from the finished work all the way back through to the process. Do you think, though, that social media can be a burden for artists in terms of like it can be quite a drain on your time? Yes, it can definitely, it takes time. All these things take time, but that's part of my practice is being able to talk with people in a room in a gallery um, or on Instagram on the bus on the way home. Um, those kind of discussions about how people engage and what they see in my work is vital to my practice and social media has, uh, has enabled me to talk to more people. So... I think that it's um, it's a worthy part of my practice and, and an important part of my practice. So I don't begrudge it as, oh, shit, I've got to post more work today. Yeah. I am lucky enough to have enough work to be able to post. But do you ever feel like the pressure 
of having to post something whilst your audience grows? Um, no, I, I don't feel I perform for my audience. I, because I'm making the work for myself, I feel the pressure for my audience. It's not as if I don't post something, someone's going to pop up on my feed and say, oh my God, you didn't post today. I only post when I've got something interesting to say. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's less about me feeling pressure to keep it always updated and keep it always new and keep it fresh and exciting. It's, it's much more the other way. And this is what I think is fresh and new and exciting. Um, so it becomes more of a sharing with people. And actually, that brings me on very nicely to a question from the last artist I have for you. Um, so mm. the last artist I interviewed was uh, a gentleman called Juan Sanabria, who creates these really amazing pixelated portraits. Um, and his question for you, because what I like to do is ask the last person to interview for a question for the next person to interview. Um, so his question yeah. for you is, how do you live with your art every day? And kind of how do you stay fresh whilst looking at your work all the time? Like, how do you make sure that you still enjoy looking at it and still doing it whilst you're surrounded by it? I think that that comes back to the editing process, doesn't it? Because you are surrounded by it. I think it's important to have some kind of differentia differentiation. So between the studio, I'm obviously surrounded by my work. At home, I've, I've got one piece in my house, which I have. Oh, wow. So <clears throat> I kind of keep them separated. Um, so that I'm not always looking, not always having that, that curation problem. So I can come in in the morning and have a fresh view upon it all. I can see, uh, see the work with fresh eyes, which is the most important part because that is the editing, which, um, which you need to, to, to do so that you can work out what you're going to do that day. So when I get into the studio every morning, what I do is I make a cup of tea. I do a page inside my, my notebook. And whilst I'm doing that, I'm looking at the, looking at the work around and I'm kind of mapping. I'm going to work on that today. I'm going to work on that today. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So that's my kind of almost production making with myself. Yeah. Um, and then when I finish the work for the day, I go home and I try to leave as much of the work in the studio as possible so that I can come back with fresh ideas. Last night, I didn't. I took, the, I took my work home with me uh, because I was having a problem. And that meant that I didn't sleep as I was trying to think, fuck, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? Going around, around in circles. Um, and it wasn't until my walk to the studio this morning, which I was like, ah, I've got, I know how this is going to work. I know what I'm going to do now. Um, so that time away should give you that space to be able to think about those things. But I, I, I'm not as regimented as I should be to be able to get that separation. Uh -huh, that makes sense and that's a that's a good answer because i think we forget that it can be as easy as just separate moving away from the work and putting yourself in an environment where the work is not there so mm. i think also because you're lucky because you have a studio that's not in your house 
I think you can make that separation as well. So you're quite lucky in the respect of that. You're not constantly surrounded by your work. I would encourage any artist to find a place where they can close the door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, close the door, th throw a sheet over the top, whatever it is, have that mental break from it. Um, before I moved into my, when I moved out of my house into a studio, um, I used to work in inside the hallway of my flat because, you know, London. Um, yeah. And that meant that I would work there all the time. But at that point, I had another job. So I would come home and that would be what I would do in the evenings rather than sitting yeah. around watching more on Netflix. So yeah. I had my break by doing the other job. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that be, becoming a professional artist, you need to find a way which you can have those breaks and be able to get away from the work. I mean, I'm, I'm not great at that because, you know, I'm in the studio every single day um, and that because I feel the pressure to be able to keep creating, keep pushing myself. And I think that's something which I need to learn how to manage a little bit better so that I don't go crazy. Because, you know, being an artist is also a job. Of course. Um, and I think that's something which I forgot or people forget oh, yeah. uh, about that. And once again, to reference Nick Cave, I remember this interview where he was talking about his process. He, he said that he got up in the morning, went to his office, um, read, uh, he, um, he um, like read until lunchtime and then played the, uh, he played the piano and wrote in the afternoon and left, uh, left the office at five o'clock. So he treated it literally like a nine to five job. Um, and I, I think that's the important thing to realize about, about creativity is it's, it's not all about an inspiration burst. You've got to work on it. You've got to make a whole lot of shit things so that you can work out what doesn't work and make something which is good. And the only way to do that is turn up every day and make something. Um, don't judge what you've made on that day because usually it's going to be shit. Um, so that's the editing process I was working about, which I was talking about before, which is being able to find that space to make something, then come back to it and then say, oh, that bit there was interesting. I'm going to zoom in on that and scale that up and do the next thing. So th there is always some value in what you have made, but it's not about waiting for a moment of inspiration because that might come, but you've got to work your way through uh, and find that inspiration um, to, to be able to uh, push yourself on. Um, I probably should have thought about this uh, a little bit more in advance. Um, I think my biggest question for any artist, uh, or actually, a lot of things which I am, um, uh, the questions I have are more about the, how do you live as an artist? 
because I, I, I've, I've been working as a professional artist for a relatively short period of time. And I've been blessed, as I touch as much wood as I can, to have had a certain amount of success out of that. But I'm, I fully appreciate that that success isn't going to continue. There, there's going to be a point of time where what I am wanting to make goes out of favor with, uh, with, with my audience. Or um, so how do you keep true to yourself and keep that discovery whilst trying to find new lands and trying to find new, new ways of working? Of working. That's a good question because I think that's something that all artists at some point in their career have to kind of stop and evaluate like, you know, is what they're doing sustainable even? You know, because sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Maybe you're just doing something that's really just trendy, or maybe you're doing something that has a lot of longevity. I think trying to find that balance is is very tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, I like that question. I think that's um, a great question. Thank you. I mean, that's that's something which I struggle with at the moment, and the yeah, like I say trying to work out um, what it means to be an artist and a working artist. Because you know they don't teach you this in art school. Of course, not. they don't. They don't teach you about that. Being an artist is being a small business, basically. You everything from uh, logistics, shipping, taxes, invoicing, paperwork, all that sort of stuff, but also through to the kind of other end of the scale of the how do you find how do you keep building your audience so that they keep finding a connection to your work? Because let's face it, most people are only going to buy one, maybe two of my pieces. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter how much they love or what I've done, they only have so much uh, like wall space. Yes. Art is like running a small business. So you need to be able to be thinking about Outside of your art practice and the the act of making the work, you need to be thinking about finding places for this work to go to and um, advertising to those people, connecting with those people, and all of those sorts of things, um, which is the thing they don't teach you at art school. Um, they only teach you about how to make the work, not how to run the business, how to get a EROI number. Um, uh, and all those important things you need to do to be able to ship work around the world. So where did you get those resources from? Um, I, I, I suppose I, I was lucky enough to work in advertising for a oh, long yeah, time. So I basically have those kind of marketing communication sort of skills there. Um, I, my, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I, th th they've always been a very good kind of um, sounding board of how to um, like run a business. Um, so I, I think I've always kind of grown up around it. So I've, I haven't gone to Harvard Business School to learn how to uh, do that. It's something which I've kind of picked up on the way and I've made mistakes along the way. And I think that's all part of it and being accepting of those mistakes to be able to say, no, next time I'm going to do this. 
Um, <clears throat> and the other thing is, I have a wonderful community of artists who, who surround me, who if I get a, yeah, sort of not sure about this sort of moment, I can ask them, yeah. um, which is one of the biggest values um, which, I, which I found is that community. And how important is then, well, I guess then, how important is community to your work then, in terms of art community versus audience, in terms of, what I mean by that is, do you consider it more important for you to build an audience or to build a community? Um, I think they're completely different things. Hmm. Uh, um, I, I like to think of my audience as a community. Um, I, I like to think of my followers and that's the reason why I invest so much time in talking to people. They are a community who have a shared interest around my work, um, which is different to the being, being part of an artist community, which we're all there to be able to share what we've learned about making of art and the business of, of art. So I, I would argue community is part of everything. If you look, if you frame it in, in um, if you frame it like that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, so my next question for you is not my question. It's a conversation I had recently with a friend of mine called Brian Dean House, who is a great artist. Um, and we were talking about the idea of skills and personality of the artist. Um, and so which is more important? Do you think the skill of an artist is more important or do you think the personality of an artist is more important? I don't think you can compare apples to, with oranges there. Um, but having said that, and the kind of punk ethos I have, I think um, the, the skills need to come secondary to what you have to say. Um, and I would argue that the personality of the artist will give someone more of a voice. Because if it is all about the craft and of the skills, then you're not an artist, you are a, you are a craftsman. Um, and that, um, that is, uh, that's a different thing. Art is about conveying ideas, not about being able to paint a, a perfect photorealistic picture. Okay, that's a, a very good response. That's a very good response. There's definitely a different response from a lot of people I have spoken to. Really? Why? What, what has everybody else said? I'm curious well, to know. So, so it's funny because me and Ryan both did polls on our Instagram stories, and uh, his were more in personality, more in favour of personality, and mine was 50-50. Um, and it was kind of interesting mm. how a lot of artists I know and I speak to are very introverted. So the idea of being more personable isn't something they're necessarily comfortable with. So it's kind of the idea of personality mm. and an artist being, you know, very kind of even extroverted. I think, you know, honestly, I think it's the way that you have phrased the question. Okay. Um, because uh, personality, if you think of personality as the personality of the artist, uh, so I, Damien Hurst is a personality. Uh, Tracy Emin is a personality. Um, that they that they are the, the superstars of the YBA, so they've created these kind of public personas about what they're uh, and that they have kind of become the art. But if we look at the likes of um, Gilbert and George, where they have taken their personality and become the art, 
um, uh, th throughout the work. Their personality is the art. Um, so I would argue that any artist needs to have that personality, needs to have that public persona, um, which is a very different thing to skill set. Um, because I, I, I think that personality gives you the ability to be able to have something to say, which is one step away from the questions you're ask, actually asking. Um, it, 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 it's, you could interpret the question you're asking as saying, should someone be talented or should they be famous? Yeah. And I, I, I suppose I don't engage with it on that level because um, talent and fame aren't connected. Um, but um, the, uh, the ability to be able to say something, fame gives you that opportunity to reach out and reach an audience and talk and, and to say something. Obviously, you could um, uh, tarry it and be famous and not say anything at all. But that's, uh, that's a different debate and a different argument. Um, so I think you are, by the way you phrase the question, it can be interpreted in lots of different okay. ways. Oh, that's cool. I haven't thought about that. So that's very, very, very cool. That's very cool. You know, you've said a lot of very interesting things so far that are just really, really different, which I like, which is why I like talking to people. Everyone's very different. And I like that. It's cool. Like, I appreciate it. Great. Um, so my next question for you is, so what does it mean to be a successful artist? And how do you measure the success of your own work? Uh, I think the success of your own work is when you, you're letting it out of the studio and, it's, and you think it's the best thing you have done. That is success. What does it mean to be a successful artist? To be able to do that. <laughs> I, I, I suppose I don't necessarily want to put play into the idea that success comes out of fame and things, but... If you are able to produce things which you which you think are the best thing which you have done, and move that out of the studio, I someone buy it, um, and for you to be able to keep doing that over and over and over again, that is success creatively as well as financially. So that, that's that, that's the reason why I, I I generally think that is success to every day or to be regularly creating work which you, and sorry, moving out of the studio work, which you think is the best which you have done. So what would your younger self think about your work? <laughs> My younger self will probably be um, confused and disappointed that it's um, not changing the world. Um, My younger self was very much um, wanting to, you know, fuck up the system, pull everything down, break it up, tear it apart. Um, I've mellowed a little bit. Um, so my younger self would probably um, not connect with my work. Um, the, the things which I liked when I was younger was definitely a whole lot more aggressive and um, um, the, the things which were broken. Um, so I think I've brought a little bit of that chaos, but I've I've tamed that chaos as the older I've become. Um, but I've, I, I've still kept that serendipity in, in, inside my work. So, yeah, I think my younger self would be um, disappointed that I haven't changed the world. 
Okay, I think that's um, that's like a very tough bar to set for yourself, though. That's like, well, but when you're young, you, you set high bars, don't you? That's that's the thing. Uh, yeah. There's a lovely kind of, there's a wonderful ignorance of youth that you're destined for greatness. But you know, in in the in the um, classic words of Fight Club, you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. <laughs> but I think one could argue that your work has changed somebody's life in some capacity, in some way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. It's changed my life. I yeah. mean, for the very fact I am in a privileged position to be able to um, uh, make things and sell things that I love. I mean, that's that, that's that's life changing. Um, when I say about ch changing the world, I I I was all about political change. Um, I, I was I was talking about bringing down the government. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's what I mean by changing the world. Um, yeah. So, like I said, I, I had a very strong kind of punk ethos, which I, I think is still kind of true inside the core of my being now. I think there's a lot of things when I was 16, 17, um, which developed early and haven't really left, um, which, is, which is this idea of, um, which is the punk ethos of the, uh, no one, no one else is going to do it except you are you so do it yeah if you want to do it don't talk about it do it don't let don't let your your lack of skill lack of knowledge lack of anything stop you um you are responsible for the way you move through this world so do the things you want to do yeah that's actually pretty good advice and i think we always forget that you can just do stuff, you know, sometimes like, I think a lot of people are very good at talking themselves out of doing something because of, you know, maybe what they don't have, but they don't actually appreciate the small things they probably do have. One of the biggest things which I, I've realized over this past year is you've got to do the work you want to do so that somebody can come along and say, I like that. Can I buy it? Yeah. Nobody is going to buy an idea or a sketch or uh, like a part of a thing. So you've got to find a way to be able to make the things you want to make. And I, I fully appreciate that, you know, someone may be dreaming up um, a really expensive thing to make. So that, be and you know, they don't have the money. So then that becomes that kind of next step of how can you get that idea across in, um, in a different way, without the money, without the without the cash, um, that be, how can you make that um, that idea, that thing you want to make, and don't be and and use your constraints to make it bigger. There's um, there's a lovely quote by Ogilvy, which is, um, "Give me the freedom of a tight brief." And I think that as an artist, you need to give yourself that brief and you need to be able to be tight on what that brief is of what you're trying to say, because otherwise you're going to float in a million different directions if you can do anything. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Sometimes you can create a lot better from constraints and from being restricted than you can being free. 
I think we all, exactly. we all like to think, oh, we would love, you know, unlimited budgets to do whatever we want. But actually, it's what you can do now with everything you have is what's going to make you get to that next level yeah. of creation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And each, each one is a step. So my next question for you is, why is art important? Uh, I can only answer that for hmm. me. Art is how I interpret, respond, and connect with the world. It's, these are my diary entries around me. This work is the way which I understand the world um, and the way which I interpret and give that back to the world. So without art, I wouldn't feel connected to the world around me. Okay. So in your opinion, what makes a good image? I I don't think that you can look at images in a good or bad, um, uh, accomplished, successful, unsuccessful um, idea. I I think that that kind of that kind of binary thinking locks out possibilities. Um, um, I, I, I think that with any image, if that image it conveys what the, the intent of the creator is, then that is a good image. Okay. It's, it's, it's all about uh, intent and context. Okay, so then the second part of that question is, um, what was your last image or piece of media that you saw that captivated you? Um, what was the last thing I saw that captivated me? Um, I suppose I am lucky enough to have a large enough audience on Instagram for people to send me things which remind me, uh, which remind them of me, which isn't me. Um, and there was an image which someone, somebody sent to me, which was. Um, it's, it kind of looked like, uh, the, 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 um, the standard Apple, uh, screen, um, like, you know, on the back of your, your iPad where they have a kind of, uh, shapes and gradients and things like that. Um, they sent me an image like that and said, this reminded me of your work. And I could see, because, you know, lines, gradients, color and things, I could see that. But what captivated me was its use of color. Um, so, the, and the colors which it mixed together. And that is what I thought, oh, that's, that's great. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. So I took those colors. Oh, wow. And oh, that's amazing. That makes sense. But if I was to show you the image which captivated me, it's nothing like that. The colors aren't even those colors. Yeah. But it, it was that trigger, that thought of the, oh, what happens if I use, use color like this? What happens if I mix it this way? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, the, um, that's the last um, thing which captivated me. Because, you know, now when anything captures, captures my eye, I store it inside my brain. 
as a as a reference point of uh, oh I I like that I like what they've done there how can I deconstruct that what parts of that do I like what do I want yeah. to take what do I want to remove there's a there's a wonderful um, quote by Morley um, who's a brilliant artist who I love which um, I have a um, I have a piece of his in my hallway which says the curse of imagination is picturing the world how it should be. Um, and that's definitely a burden I, I feel, is the everyone, everywhere around me, I, I can see the way which I would change everything. Um, and that, that, that becomes something which you have to check yourself to be able to say, no, just enjoy it, just sit back, relax enjoy it for what it is rather than trying to think about what you would change about it. Yeah, and I guess that's a, a perspective you share because you're an artist as opposed to if you didn't necessarily create stuff, you wouldn't necessarily think about it like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's what, that's what I was talking about. That's the reason why this resonates with me is because mm -hmm. it uses creativity and creative thinking, whether that's creative accounting or painting a picture, I do believe that creative thinking will inspire you to create something new, a new process, a new way of working. And that is, like I say, picturing the world as it, as it should be, as opposed to the way it is. So th th there's, a, th there's an acceptance which I have to come to that I, I can't change everything, even though I may want to. So I'm really distracted by the artwork in the back. <laughs> I was staring at your art like this, it's really cool. Um, it's really, really cool. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I can just imagine, Thank I can you. only imagine like what you're going to do next as well, though that's the thing, is that like, it, there's just so much you can do, um, which is, it's very exciting. I've got so many ideas inside my head, so many thoughts, so many things. So it's, I'm, I'm excited to see what the next step is going to be, what, What's the next? What's the next idea which is going to fall out of my head and onto the page? What's the next way which I want to go? I mean, I've been. <clears throat> I'm about to sh show, uh, share some new work on Instagram, um, which is a bit of a departure from my visual language. Um, it's where I. Um, uh, it's some print work I've been doing, which. Um, so as you know. The way I print is I use torn paper to create masks. Yeah. And for a long time, I was just throwing those masks away into the bin. Um, the work which I'm currently working on is using those masks to be able to, um, uh, to, to be able to become my plate. And I use uh, plate in slide inverted commas. So I'm using the ink on the back of this paper. I'm turning it around, I'm screwing it up. And I'm using that to be able to create an image. Oh. And that's actually hilarious because that was the last question I'm going to ask you was, what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work? Well, I'm, I'm working on so many different things. There's lots. I mean, there's always, I'm, I'm, I'm always working on something. Yeah. So the work I release into the world is only an edited amount. I mean, I've got an entire shelf here of things which, you know, look different from everything else I've done. Um, but that's just me experimenting and, and working on these things. Um, this, the, where 
where this is going to develop, what is going to come out of this. I mean, the prints I was just talking about is kind of a reaction to this work, which is on the walls, which are um, looking more into these, um, these pools of light. Um, so th there's an interesting way of being able to bring that dance between the different work. I think there's a strong voice connected, connecting them, but I'm curious to see what the rest of the world thinks uh, as it uh, get, gets launched. Um, so the best place for people to be able to find me is Instagram. We've talked about that a lot yeah. today. So um, uh, at Matt Dukes, or I'm sure you're going to link to I'm it at, well. uh, somewhere. Cool. Uh, or through my website, uh, mattdukes.inc, I-N-K, um, uh, which uh, has um, like a range of work. I, I don't keep everything updated on that because, you know, I'm busy making yes. the work and that's always the bit which falls down. <laughs> Um, but you know, if, if anyone sees anything which they like on my Instagram, um, feel free to drop me a DM, have a chat. Let's talk about the work. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, I can always, uh, find something if, if, if that piece is sold, I can always find something which is similar or in a similar space. Matt, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for the chat. I, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate it. That concludes my conversation with Matt Jukes. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing, or subscribing on any of those platforms. Also, don't forget to check out theflyingfruitball.co.uk for daily art inspiration and written interviews. And if you're a creative, please get in touch to be featured or interviewed. We now also have a Patreon page if you'd like to support the platform further. Tears start from £1 and for more information, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash the flying fruit bowl. Or if you'd prefer to give us a one-time donation, we now also have a PayPal. There'll be a link to our PayPal in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today. And until next time folks, please stay safe.